something I totally forgot before I prayed. Uh, we have digital sermon notes for you, so we're going to blow up. Sorry, Seth. Sorry, man. You're a trooper. You rock. So thank you. Serving the kingdom. Um, so we have some digital sermon notes we're going to blow up uh, on the screen for y'all. And um, sorry about that, guys. I really do apologize for that. Um, and so those will be full screen, and we're going to give you some time to scan those. And also, as you scan those, um, I would invite you, if you have your copy of the Lord's Word, uh, to open up to the book of Hebrews. We will be camping out in the book of Hebrews this morning. And um, it's, a, it's a really interesting book because uh, there's no known authorship. In fact, it's actually disputed uh, historically who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people say it was Paul, but if you look at the writing, it's a little bit different than what Paul would write. Um, there's a theory out there that I heard a while back and that I kind of hold on to is that it was actually written by Paul's missionary partner, uh, Barnabas. And Barnabas was actually a Levite. He would actually be quite familiar with how the Levitical uh, processes work, right? And that is what Hebrews is all about, is how Jesus is our great high priest. And in fact, that is the name of God that we're actually unpacking this morning, is Jesus is our great high priest. So we have been going through this series, unwrapping the names of Jesus. It's based off a devotional book that we're doing as a church. And uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about how Jesus is the great high priest. And this banner statement is going to kind of kick off what we're talking about today. It's real quick. We'll have that on screen as well. So the banner statement for this morning is Jesus is our great high priest. He represents us before God so that when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of his son, Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that already kind of hits me hard. That's an amazing gift. I want you to look with me, if you've already opened up your copy of God's Word or your Bible app, or you're using the little Bible plug-in attachment on our digital sermon notes, please look at Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. I'm going to read these for us. So since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that fantastic? And so we're, we're diving into that this morning. And the first thing, why in the world are we talking about how Jesus is a great high priest. What does it even mean? What, what, what is a high priest? Why is that important? Because we don't use the, Le, the Levitical ritualistic system in church anymore today. So what is the high priest? Well, the first thing is, um, it's something that we need. That's the first observation point, actually, is that because of our sin, we need a high priest. Why do we need a high priest? What do they do? Hebrews 5, 1 through 3 actually lays it out. So for every high priest chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset in weakness, right? He understands weakness. He's in weakness. He's weak just like everyone else, the human high priest, that is. And because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. So what is the high priest? In Jewish custom, in, in before Christ came, right, so the Jews, the people of God, the Israelites, right, they, they, they had a high priest in this Levitical priestly system 
So there was the high priest, and the high priest was in charge of all these other priests. They ran the temple. And before the temple was a thing, they ran the tabernacle, right? And this is how the people would be able to relate to God. The priests would offer sacrifices. The priests would pray on behalf of the people, especially during the feasts, such as Passover and uh, the Day of Atonement. And there's a whole list there in Leviticus. I'm not going to read the whole list for you. But this was the job of the high priest. They would intercede. They would mediate for the people on their behalf. Why? Because we're sinful. Because of our sin, we need a high priest. We need somebody to intercede for us on our behalf to God. We need someone to be able to represent us because we can't represent ourselves. We are immersed in sin constantly, and sin and holiness cannot mesh together. They can't collide. They can't intermingle. A perfect God cannot, at the same time, be in the presence of deep, dark sin. He's too holy for that, and we are too unholy to be in his presence. So we needed someone to represent us to God. And the beauty is, and 5, 1 through 3, lays this out perfectly, is that uh, in the human high priestly system, the way this worked is that they were able to relate to people. Why? Because they were human too. They're able to relate to people because of their humanness, because of their also sinfulness, right? They, they relate to us in our sin. When they would sacrifice, actually, Leviticus 16 actually points this out, when the Lord is instructing Aaron on how to give sacrifices for his sin on the Day of Atonement. Aaron that is Moses' brother, the very first high priest, would also offer a sacrifice for himself to cover his self, himself, his sin, and his family. And then he would also offer the goats on behalf of the people. A bull for his sin, a goat for the people, and then a goat released into the wild, the scapegoat. That's where we get that term. I won't dive into all that. But that's what it looked like. Because we're sinful and we needed someone to intercede for us. But the thing is, human priesthood presents problems. It, it, it has problems. That's actually our second point, is that human priesthood presents problems. We're limited. Well, what are we limited by? Well, the first thing is that we're limited by time. Humans are naturally limited by time. I don't know if you know that or not. Hopefully you do. Humans are limited by time. That is, we are limited by death. Skip down to 723 with me, and we'll, we'll have it on the screen. But the writer of Hebrews is speaking. He says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So that's, that's part of the problem. The human priestly system doesn't work that well because why? Well, the priests die, and they're having to constantly be replaced. And one priest is not going to act the same as another. Another thing that we're limited by is we are limited by our sin. We're limited by our sin. We're limited by our imperfection. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned, everybody. We've all sinned, and we all fall, fall short of the glory of God. And the Israelites experienced this with their own high priest. For example, Aaron, the first high priest, right, the brother of Moses, you think he would do fairly well. Well, when Moses is up on the mountain communicating with God for a few days, Aaron and the people, the Israelites, get bored, and they decide to build themselves a golden calf to worship an idol, so they can have this tangible thing that they can look at, and they're like, it's shiny, it's there. We can't physically see God, but we can physically see this, this cow made of metal. And Aaron's like, yeah, it's okay, it's fine. And then, it, you know, Moses blows up, and it becomes a whole thing. But Aaron 
Aaron was imperfect. Aaron was sinful. He was the first one to have the job, and he messed up big time. A second example is Eli. So if you know anything about Eli, he was the mentor of the prophet Samuel who anointed King David. Uh, and King David wrote the Psalms. He slayed the giant, right? You know we, know, we know and love King David. Eli was the mentor of David's mentor. And Eli was a high priest. He did a good job. He loved the Lord and stuff. But he was not that great of a parent. In fact, he let his sons uh, bring strangers um, to come and party in the holy places and take advantage of that space. Eli wasn't that great of an example of a high priest. And then there's Zechariah. We're upon Christmas time. And some of you have probably read the Gospel of Luke. The very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we see Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, right? We see Zechariah totally, like he has all these signs, right? The, the angel of the Lord comes to him. He's like, hey, man, what's up? You're going to have a kid. And Zechariah, you know, he's being visited by an angel. And he's like, sorry, sir, how do I know this is going to happen? And the angel's like, I've literally been in the presence of God. And you, you don't, you're not listening? Like, you don't believe me? Like, come on, this is a big enough sign. And so he silences him for the, the period of time that it takes for John to be born. And we see these high priests, these, these holy men, right, who were supposed to lead the people to represent God to the people and represent the people to God too. We see these people mess up. Humans are limited by our sin and imperfection. And then lastly, humans, we, we can't fully go into the presence of God. We can't fully go into the presence of God. The Israelites, they had the Holy of Holies, they had the temple, Right? And so the Holy of Holies was this sacred space where the Ark of the Covenant, if you've seen Indiana Jones, where he's a lost Ark, Ark of the Covenant, right? Big deal. Uh, although there's a little fiction there. Um, but it, it's in this sacred space called the Holy of Holies. And it is the innermost sacred part of the temple, separated by this giant, thick curtain. And this is the same curtain that actually tore when Jesus died, top to bottom. But this place is separated. It's a sacred space. And it's a sacred space. The Ark of the Covenant that represents the presence of God is there. But even the, the author of Hebrews even says, it's just a copy and it's just a shadow of the things that are. It's not even the full presence of God. That's just a little taste. We can't fully enter into the presence of God. We can't go to the other side and then come back like Jesus has. It's not possible. So you see, human priesthood presents problems. There, there, there's, there's a lack of fulfillment that comes when humans are in charge of a holy role. Because we're limited. But there is good news. There's a ton of good news in this third point, and I love this, is that Jesus is the perfect high priest who stands in our defense. Thank goodness. Jesus is the perfect high priest who stands in our defense. We're going to be jumping all over the place, so buckle your seatbelts. There's a lot of scripture coming to you. So first we're going to look at uh, Hebrews 7, 23 through 27. And so we, are, we already landed in 23, but I'm going to read it again. The former priests were many in number because they, pre they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for first, sorry, I apologize, I'm spazzing out here. First for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. We're going to skip down to 8, verses 1 through 2. Now the point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And then finally, our last passage we're going to be looking at here, 9, 12 through 15. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That was a ton of scripture. But it's a good thing we're here in church because we're talking about the Bible. So... The thing is, uh, the point is that we're trying to drive across is that Jesus represents both God and humanity, being fully God, being fully man, right? He represents us both perfectly. He's a perfect intermediary, wow, I'm sorry, mediator and high priest. Because he crossed over to death, beat death, came back, right? So he went fully into the presence of God, he's able to come back, sits now in the full presence of God, still to this day, His sacrifice erased our sin once and for all. He did what the law could not do. Romans 8, 3 through 4 tells us that for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, that is by our sin, our human nature could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, not according to sin, right? But we walk according to the Spirit. He did what the law couldn't. He did what the Levitical law could not do. He did what all this stuff, all, all this, these things that were set in place for the Israelites, right, to follow. And then these religious, these religious rules and laws and decrees, everything like that, all the commandments, he did what this could not do. Because he alone was able to fill it eternally and perfectly, right? In every single way. He was able to be the perfect sacrifice that we needed and represent us and God fully in the midst of that. And so what do we need to do about all of this? What's, what's the application? What's the takeaway? Guys, the first thing we need to understand, and this is the same as last week, we need to accept Christ. We need to accept Christ. And that sounds simple. I understand that it's not for those who haven't done it yet, right? That, that's a big step. But the reality is we cannot be seen as fully washed by his grace until we have personally accepted his grace, right? The banner statement tells us that Jesus represents us And because he represents us, when God looks at us, if we are in Christ, when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of Jesus. The reality is, you can't have that 
until you have fully accepted that grace, until you have fully accepted that gift. It's a gift. It's a free gift. But gifts have to be accepted. You have to accept it. You have to take it, right? And if you don't know what that looks like, feel free to shoot us an email, office at fbcelgin.org, right? Or if you're here, please come talk to me or, or, or Catherine or anybody who's here, and we would love to talk to you. But in order to have that grace, in order to be seen as fully washed and stainless and sanctified, you have to accept it. You have to accept Christ. The second thing, the second application point is that we need to pray. Oh my gosh. So the beauty is that, that, that we need to pray. We need to take advantage of the direct access that Jesus has provided. The, the, the beauty of what Jesus has done for us is that he, he literally, he's like, hey, you don't need to go to a human anymore. You don't need to have anyone intercede for you on your behalf. You can go straight to the Father because of what I did for you. We get to pray. We get to have personal, direct access to the throne room of God. And that is huge. If the Israelites, before Christ, heard that, they'd go nuts. They're like, that is the coolest thing in the world. And yet, I, I feel like sometimes here in American Christianity, we're like, yeah, prayer. God's great, God's good, let's thank for our food, amen. No, you are in the presence, you are in the throne room of God. That is a big deal. And we're meant to take advantage of that. And the beauty is anytime, anywhere, you can talk to him at, at, just like he's in the room. Because he is in the room, let's be honest. But you can talk to God in the room. Like he's, like he's a person standing right next to you, right? And, and that is such a big deal. And there's a confidence and there's a security that should go along with that. There's a beauty to knowing that I can just talk to God without being vaporized. Right? That's a big deal. We don't deserve that. Come on, this is a gift. Like, that is a huge deal. Man, well, like so many times God could just go, and he doesn't. Like, what a gift to be able to just talk to the one God who created the entire universe, right? Who knows every single number of microscopic atoms in my body, right? He, he knows how everything was created. He knew how everything was formed, right? farther more than we could ever measure or imagine, right? He knows everything infinitely, right? And we get to talk to him. What a big deal. We need to take advantage of this direct access that he's provided for us. And the third point, the third and final point, is that we need to serve with joy. We need to serve with joy. So this week's theme um, in our Advent devotionals, I did not bring mine on the stage. I apologize for that. Uh, but the theme for this week is joy. And I think that's already a challenge enough for us because we're humans and joy is not our initial response. Because we try to nitpick all the things going wrong in our day even before it starts. But we're called to serve with joy. And what do I mean by the service part? So, so joy is already hard, right? That's the challenge for this week. But, but, but what do I mean by serving with joy? Well, the, the thing we need to understand is that the high priest... I mentioned this before, the high priest was in charge of other priests in the temple, right? And I want to point you to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And this is probably a passage you're familiar with, but it's so important as it pertains to what we're talking about today. Peter, right? St. Peter, 
right? The same one who was a spaz, he was a fisherman, right? And he cut off some dude's ear, all that stuff. All that, we love Peter. He's, a, he's, he's misunderstood. Uh, we love him. We love him. He's great. But he wrote this letter to the church, and he's saying, but you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You guys, like, like the church, capital C church, like you're all part of this priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So you're not even, you're not even given a name. Now you will fall under the name of the Father. That's a huge deal. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And, and dare I say, mercy to the full. Peter is telling the church, hey, you're a part of this priesthood. So Jesus is our high priest, right? Well, what does that make us? Well, if we are Christians, the Greek form of that word is little Christs. If we are little Christs, if we are little high priests, that just makes us normal priests. But that is a big deal. That is a responsibility. With that comes a responsibility to go joyfully, lovingly, mercifully, selflessly telling people about what God has done for us. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter their stance on politics. It doesn't matter if they're atheist, they grew up Christian all their life, but just kind of faded away. Whatever it is, whoever they are, whoever it is, right? It, it fellow Christians even for crying out loud. Like I think sometimes we think about declaring the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we only think about non-believers. The reality is, people in the church need it just as much. We're meant to do that joyfully, guys. We're a priesthood. We are a priesthood. That is a big deal. We have that responsibility to represent Christ joyfully and lovingly. And I hope you understand that. I mean, are, are, are you being that? Are you being the priesthood of believers? Are you representing Christ the way we're supposed to? Are you declaring the gospel with your lives? Not just with your words, but with your actions. With your intentions towards people. Are you declaring the gospel in your lives as we're called to do? And so I know that this, this morning was kind of a different topic. Hebrews is interesting because it's written to a specific people group. And as American Christians, we don't always dive into the Judeo traditions of Christianity. But it is certainly something that's super interesting and super fun to talk about. And I really do hope that we got something out of this and understand that Jesus is our great high priest. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray us out. And then Catherine's going to come do announcements. We've got some stuff going on. But, um, guys, I want to challenge y'all. Remember that you're a part of that priesthood. And serve with joy. All right? Love y'all. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much just for this morning. Thank you that, golly, that even, even right now, man, we, we, we get to have direct access to you. What a gift. What a wonderful, beautiful gift that we need to take advantage of more. Lord, thank you that you have wiped away our sin completely and perfectly because of, because of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for representing us. And thank you for re representing yourself. Because we got to see your heart 
and you got to see our sanctification. So, Lord, we pray even now in this moment, Holy Spirit, as we go out into this week, I pray that we would lovingly serve with joy, that we would represent you to the best of our ability, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, to one another, to ourselves, and especially to the people who don't know you. Lord, I love you. I praise you. I thank you for this time. Thank you for your people, and thank you for your word. In your holy, precious name I pray. Amen.